Over the last couple of weeks, we have been introducing a new series based on the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is a book of the Bible about the early followers of Jesus and how the Lord empowered that little group of incredible, bold men and women to launch a 2,000-year worldwide movement that would change the world by telling the story and showing the love of Jesus Christ. Now, this series is based on the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, which says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus said, You will be my witnesses. And the title of this series is witness. What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus Christ? So to continue this theme, our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, beginning in the 36th verse. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 2, it's actually a longer passage. It's about the day of Pentecost, and most of that chapter is taken up by Peter's sermon on the Sunday of Pentecost. Now, you may read that sermon. You think, well, this is, is this how long a sermon is supposed to be? It looks kind of short. Don't worry. There's a line in the end of the passage we'll read today that says, with many other words, he exhorted him, which says to me that it was at least as long as some of mine. So I want you to know that this is, just because he's an apostle doesn't automatically make it shorter. There's a line here that you should pay attention to. But all serious, in all seriousness, look at... Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off and everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he wore, bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that this is your word, that it is completely true and it is given in love. Speak Lord for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your son, our precious Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Just before Jesus returned to his Father in heaven, he gave them a job. He told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then several days later on the day of Pentecost at the festival in Jerusalem, 
On that day, God delivered his promise of the Holy Spirit so that his people could deliver his promises to the world. The Holy Spirit, promised by Jesus, first breathed into the disciples on the night of Easter, now manifested itself in the full bloom of its power. And the 12 students of Jesus, his disciples, became his apostles, his ambassadors, his disciple makers, his representatives to the world. And when the Holy Spirit came, he gave the disciples two things. He gave them courage to take that personal faith that they had and make it public. And he also gave them content. He gave them the message that they were to declare, the truth that they were to proclaim. So today, I want us to consider that content. And I want us to understand that the content of our witness matters. What we believe matters and what we declare. That is to say, what we tell the world and tell other people, that matters. And so today we're going to take a moment to discuss the essential content of the gospel. First, we're going to take a look at Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost as a, as a leading example of that content. And then we're, going to, to, then we're going to discuss why that content matters. So, on the day of Pentecost, an ordinary Galilean fisherman named Peter did an extraordinary thing. He stood up in front of a crowd of thousands of people from all over the Mediterranean world and started giving them a speech. He had something to say that was so important that Peter was willing to risk his life and his freedom just to say it. So what did he say? Well, he starts off by declaring the truth of the message itself. He's saying, what I'm about to say does not come from me or from any other human source. It comes from God. So where does the, the content of the gospel come from? It comes from God. Now, who do you trust for your information? Do you trust the news? Do you trust social media? Do you trust the internet? Do you trust magazines? Do you trust your buddies at the office or your friends at school? I mean, nowadays, we are so inundated with bias and agenda-driven propaganda, it's hard to know who to believe, who to trust. There's, there's no telling who actually knows what they're talking about. And that was a problem in Peter's day as well. And so Peter gets right to the point. He said, what I'm about to tell you comes from God. It's not from me. It's not from these other guys. It's not from any other human person. It's from God. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream, dream dreams. G Peter was declaring, listen, this isn't from me. This is from God and we have seen it with our own eyes. It is his word. It is true and it is given in love. It's what we need to hear, and it's what we need to know. We have to take it seriously, so please listen. And then he turns to the heart of the message. 
the truth about Jesus of Nazareth. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He's talking about the Jesus we know. And he's saying that through this Jesus, God had a plan to save the whole world. The prophets of old said that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, the Christ, who would come not only to set people free from the sin and brokenness and fear and jealousy and hate in which we constantly live, but he was going to set us free from the fear of death and from death itself. He was going to set us free from that mortality and the fear of mortality that stalks our every waking moment through fear and hunger and sickness and war and poverty and all of those things throughout our lives. Jesus has come to show us the way to live in peace and he's shown us the way to live in love with one another and with our God. And this Messiah, the Savior, this Savior God sent to change the world is none other than his own son, his own flesh and blood and spirit, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the real thing, and I don't have to tell you that because you've seen it. You've either seen or you've heard that he fed over 5,000 people with nothing but five loaves and two fish. They, you've heard that he walked on water, that he has the power to overpower demonic supernatural forces that we can not even comprehend, that he had the power to exert control over the wind and over the storms and over earthquakes. And this Jesus not only has the power to heal the sick and to give sight to the blind, he had the power to bring his friend Lazarus back to life after he'd been dead for four days. This is the Savior. And God loves us so much that he left heaven. He became one of us. One of us with all of our problems, with all of our challenges. And he gave his life not only to live with us, but to die like one of us just to prove that he understands us, that he gets us, that he understands the stuff that we have to deal with every day of our lives. He got hungry. He felt pain. He felt grief. He knows what it's like to be one of us because he felt fear. And he knows what it's like to get angry because he got angry. God knows what it's like even to lose a child because he lost one. He gets it. He understands us. So this is the Savior. This is, this is the one that God sent into the world. But what happened? Peter continues, here's the truth, and it's not pretty because it's the truth about us. Peter says it in love, but he says, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I mean, when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and declared that it would be a kingdom based on love of God and love of our neighbors and love for one another, I mean, that's, that's the message, right? When he proclaimed a kingdom of love in this world, what happened? That threatened the little kingdoms that each of us are trying so hard to build for ourselves. 
I mean, like, like a, a whole universe of toddlers, we declared, he's not the boss of me. We're not going to listen to him. How dare he tell us to love God more than anything else, more than my career, more than my stuff, more than my advancement, more than my money, more than my family. How dare he tell us to love other people more than we love ourselves, especially my neighbors. I don't even like my neighbors. We'll show him. We'll show him he's not in charge. We'll crucify him for saying that. And that's what we did. And the crucifixion shows just how messed up we are inside and out. The crucifixion says that we would rather live in fear and confusion and pain and death than surrender control to the Son of God. That we would rather give up everything else so that we can have it our way. And everything real that God offers us, we're willing to throw that away because we are more attached to the illusion of control. That's the truth about us. But he said it in love. But that's not the end of the story because the truth about Jesus continues. And Peter says, even though we killed him, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised us, uh, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus died, but he is risen. He was dead, but he is alive. And you know what? That Jesus that you thought you knew, he wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a fraud. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't even just a, he wasn't even just a prophet. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And now he is Lord of all. He has no rival. He has no equal. He is closer to God than the priests and the Pharisees. And he is more powerful than Caesar or Herod. And he has conquered the sin and the grave. And that means that he is in charge. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the one who matters. And he's the one who can make a difference in your life and my life now and forever. That's who Jesus is. That's the truth about Jesus. And this is the promise for you. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And the crowd said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He says, you know, we've seen that God understands us and he proved it by becoming one of us. We've seen that God loves us and he proved it by sending his own son to die on the cross for our sins. We've seen that God has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever and he proved that by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And he says that if we will just turn around and trust him, that's what repent means, to turn away from sin and turn toward him. If we will just trust him, then we will be forgiven and we will be set free from all of that power that sin has over our lives every day. I mean, sin is the weight that holds you down, that makes you afraid, that makes you unsatisfied and jealous, that makes you feel like you're not enough. And none of us seem to realize how bad it is until we realize how deeply we are in it. And we are all deep in it. But there's a promise, he says. And this promise is for you. He says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that matter to anyone here? Does that matter to you? Does that matter to you about the people you love? Because that's the promise that he's given to us. Content matters. Now last week I told you that in his book, The Reformed Imperative, one of my mentors, Dr. John Lee, wrote this. He said, the task of the Christian witness is to help those who believe to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience. Now, as Christians, we believe that what matters, that, excuse me, we believe that what we believe matters because we are called to be witnesses. We've been given a part to play in the redemptive, restorative, life-changing, and world-changing work of God. And as Christ, the witnesses of Jesus Christ, what we say, that is, what we declare, what we tell other people, what we teach and what we show matters. It matters right now and it matters forever. And so if the purpose of Christian witness is to help those who believe to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience, then what we say matters. The content of our faith matters. I want you to put it in context. We just baptized this precious baby girl, Harper, just a little while ago. And we are now called to be witnesses to her of the truth of Jesus Christ. You know what? I hate to tell you all this. James, uh, Stephanie, she's going to grow up and she's going to have a lot of questions. And she's going to have questions you have no idea how to answer. And you're going to turn to those people around you right now and you're going to ask them. They're going to say, I don't know. We didn't know when you asked that question either. And there are just some questions that can't be answered apart from the, the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, she's going to need answers. She's going to need them as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult. We still need them now. What we say matters in those moments. We had a child of this church, a 26-year-old, die just a couple of days ago unexpectedly. It matters what we say to his family. What are we going to say? That we have no idea about what God does in moments like this, about the promises that he's made? Or are we going to declare the truth that Peter declared? It matters what we say in this moment. And it matters 
forever because Dr. Leith has also said that bad doctrine hurts people. It undermines the church and it distracts people from the truth of Jesus Christ. Good doctrine, on the other hand, builds us up, it empowers us, and it shapes us in the image of Jesus Christ. So often we get sucked in by our experiences, by our feelings, and we think that that's the gauge by which we are to judge the gospel. And I want to say feelings are important, but sometimes feelings mislead us. They can lead us into despair. They can lead us into sin. We feel great and we start thinking, you know what, I don't need to worry. Sin's no big deal. I feel great and religion can't be taken too seriously. Or at the other end of the spectrum, we begin to feel awful and we begin to believe that God doesn't really exist or that he doesn't really love us, that he really doesn't care or he really doesn't have the power to make a difference. And those feelings can actually control us and mislead us. But even though our feelings are important, and I don't want to dismiss feelings, our feelings are important, but our faith prioritizes facts. Because when our feelings mislead us, we have to return to the facts, to the content, to the truth of our faith. And these are the facts that he understands us. And he became one of us to show it. That he loves us. And he gave his life to prove it. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. He was willing to do that for you. That he has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever. And he's proved it by overcoming death and rising from the grave. Those things matter. And probably the most important fact we know is that Jesus is real. We need him and he is holding us in our best moments and in our worst moments and everything in between. One fact that we never want to forget is there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when the wind begins to blow us like the waves of the sea, and when we're scattered like, like leaves, we remember the truth of his gospel. Content matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so easily distracted, we are so easily misled. The words of our world and the feelings of our guts so often make us believe that either there is no need for redemption or that you don't care. But your word testifies time and time again to your love and to your power. When our feelings mislead us, when we don't know who to trust, remind us of the content of your truth. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.